need someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you short juice. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome back to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan, and with me in Fukuoka is my co host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and when it comes to soba, we generally prefer to drink it rather than eat it. Although we like eating it too. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades and are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Christopher, but I do have to clarify. You do understand that aboda soba is not soba. I know. That's ramen. It's true. Okay. All right. Just wanted to make sure because you did say you do enjoy eating. I mean, I enjoy eating soba as well, but I know you're an abura soba addict. Definitely. That is, that is a very fair assessment. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday if I was allowed, but、um, I am not because I need to maintain my boyish figure. And honestly, whenever I visit Tokyo, I also. Partake. It's a, it's a fantastic, underrated style of, of、uh, noodles in, in Japan. So, it good. Anyway, this is not the Japan Ramen podcast. So, moving on.、Uh, long overdue on this episode. This is a style of shochu I think were, was a little bit of a blind spot for both of us when we began the,、uh, the podcast. It's hyper regional, and I don't think either of us had seen, seen production in, in action. And so, we Took our time and, and tried to learn some more before we finally recorded this. We've obviously done rice, barley, sweet potato, cocoa to sugar, and awamori, which I would say are the other major categories within these koji spirits. But、uh, this one we've left for a while. Too true, too true. I mean, I've been to a number of distilleries that make this style of shochu. I've seen it bubbling away. I have never been there to help, though. I've never stirred in any of the pots, I've never you know, sampled the moromi as it's fermenting. So Yes, definitely one of those smaller styles, yet major, like one of the biggies, but one of those smaller styles that I don't have quite as much exposure to, although I have consumed a fair amount of it. But before we get into the main topic today, let's、uh, go through a couple of、uh, announcements because they are important. Sure. No, these are timely and they're kind of a big deal, I hope. Good news for our listeners in the New York City area. Christopher and I will both be in Brooklyn later this month, July 20th. That's a Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. We will be at Travel Bar, a pretty amazing whiskey bar. I think they have about 350 whiskeys on the shelves. And、uh, we will be doing a toast to Jokichi Takamine. This is just a couple days before the 101st anniversary of his passing in 1922. And We're looking forward to sharing Takamine Koji whiskey, as well as a little bit of a sneak preview of a single cask from the Shinozaki Distillery. And of course, no party would be complete without cocktails. And so we are going to have a guest bartender in making a nice、uh, Takamine based cocktail as well, which will be a treat for everyone who, who shows up. So、uh, we'll post an Eventbrite link in the show notes. And of course, you'll see it all over social. You're not going to be able to avoid it. We're very excited about this, but tickets are limited. Travel Bar is not a huge space. So get your tickets early and often. Can't wait. I'm especially excited about that limited Takamine expression that is, remains to be named so far. And then also, of course, the, the cocktail that we have a special bartender, very talented bartender coming to prepare for us. So don't miss it. 
Um, anything else? Yeah, we actually mentioned her on our Koji Cocktails episode last time. Uh, Jane Nam, who's uh, at Singlish, she's actually going to be a guest bartender at Travel Bar that evening, Woo-hoo. making her Jane's Addiction, which is a pretty phenomenal split-based cocktail between Takamine uh, Eight Year and uh, Colorful Sweet Potato Shochu. So definitely in for a treat if you can make it out. Yeah, I haven't tried it, and I can't wait. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good one. You're 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 also in for a treat. It's going to be be a lot of fun. But that just kicks off our adventures, right? We've got a few other things going on as well. We will uh, then, after our time in New York, we're going to head down to New Orleans for Tales of the Cocktail. And uh, on the Monday evening, July twenty fourth, we're doing a happy hour in collaboration with the Japan Society of New Orleans, a uh, happy hour light bites at a Thai restaurant called Banana Blossom. Uh, they're actually opening on their day off to uh, have some have some food available, and we'll taste some delicious uh, shochu and awamori with those small plates. That should be a great time too. Yeah, right in the middle of Tales of the Cocktail, which is going to be a first for me. I've been to New Orleans before, but never for this party. We're getting there on the Sunday, and I think we're staying all the way through to the very blessed end of it. But the reason why is because on Thursday, July twenty seventh, starting at two thirty, Stephen and I are part of a panel called Koji Fermented Spirits 101 that is going to be a first-come, first-served type of gig, I believe. So get there early and grab your seat. And we're going to be pouring drinks. We're going to be doing a panel discussion. As I mentioned, there's going to be some um, some swag or some, I usually say tat. I don't know if, any, if many other people say tat. But anyways, we're going to be giving some stuff away. And we will be joined on the panel by Jesse from Mizu, Chris from Impex, and Toshio from MTC. So a really good group of folks who have been involved in Shochu and Aomori for many, many years. So definitely come and hear what we talk about and sip along with us, a guided tasting, and hopefully it'll be educational. I'm really excited about this panel. I've been on panels at Tales before. I did uh, a couple of them before the pandemic, but I feel like we got an all-star team together. Obviously, Toshio, who's the uh, head educator at the Saki School of America. Then we've got uh, Jesse Fallowitz, as we mentioned in episode 60 on Koji Cocktails, that he really is the OG of bringing in a an export-only brand to the United States with a focus on cocktails using shochu. And then... Chris from Impex, he was the first person to bring in Koji whiskeys. Uh, he wasn't allowed to call them that at the time, and maybe at some point we'll have him on the show to talk about his experience with that. But he brought in the Fukano and Oishi expressions, which have been in, in market for, I guess, going on seven, eight years now. So really excited to have them on the panel. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm sure we're both going to learn a lot and the audience should learn even more. Right. And we've also got a couple of book signings in there to taste. So lots of seasonings, lots of happenings, lots of comings and goings. So if you're going to be there for Tales of the Cocktail, keep an eye out for us and watch our social. We'll be all over the place trying to let people know what we're doing, where we're going to be. Um, There's even an event or two that we haven't mentioned yet that we'll be giving more information about in the near future. But anyways... Without further ado, let us get into the main topic of the podcast today, and that's soba, or buckwheat shochu. And I'm sure most of you have already figured that out from the title, but this is the honestly the youngest of what we consider the five main styles of shochu, not counting awamori. Those styles are going to be, of course, sweet potato and barley, rice, 
uh, buckwheat, and then cocteau sugar. So those are the big five right there. And this is the last of the five that we've gotten to, as Stephen mentioned before. And most of these other styles have been around for hundreds of, of years, honestly. They, they are not new. Cocteau sugar shochu, of course, was not really codified or brought into the shochu fold until ni- their 1950s, 1953, when it was made official. Though, of course, it did exist in various uh, permutations before that. But soba shochu really was first brought to market in 1973. That's right. We we know the exact date because the distillery who uh, released it won't stop talking about the fact that they were first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gokase Distillery in Miyazaki released their Unkai brand in 1973. And it was such a hit that they changed their corporate name in 1978. And, you know, you've got to appreciate that level of de- dedication. They really leaned in. They they changed their the name of their company based on a five-year-old brand. True. Then it, I mean, then again, they had only been founded in 1967, so they were around for about six years before they hit upon this this soba shochu recipe that really uh, took off for them. And, you know, to their credit, they are today the third largest producer in Japan. Correct. I mean, their kobiki sweet potato shochu is also very popular. It also helps to move them far up the rankings in terms of volume produced per year. But their unkai soba shochu brand is really what they built the foundation of their business on. And it's by far their most popular and well-known brand today. And it really is the sort of shochu you'll find in convenience stores throughout the country in many izakayas. True. It's, it's pretty recognizable. You can see a picture of the iconic green bottle in the show notes. But it's funny that you mentioned Kobiki because last year when we were in Miyazaki, we had gone to the Kirishima distillery, which is the largest distillery in Japan. They'd have a great tour. If you have a chance to go visit, please do. Highly recommended. But I took the bullet and I drove you and our guests out to Miyako Nojo. Thanks, Dad. For that distillery tour. I was a designated driver and I, I was happy to do that. I was returning the rental car and it turned out that there was a big festival going on in Miyazaki the first time since pre-COVID and the traffic was awful. So I took me quite a bit of time to drop the rental car off at the airport and then take a taxi back into the city. Right. And... I had a long conversation with a taxi driver who's had in traffic for 15, 20, 30 minutes, which normally doesn't even take that long to drive between the airport and downtown. But we got onto the topic of shochu and he was explaining to me that real Miyazaki people don't drink Kirishima. They drink Kobiki <laughs> because Kirishima is the name of a mountain chain in Kagoshima and Miyakonojo is just a little bit too close to Kagoshima for comfort. So he thinks that the real Miyazaki shochu is Kobiki. So I, I got a kick out of that. Right. Also, geographically, Unkai's, a couple of their major facilities are much closer to Miyazaki City. So it might be a home team type of thing for him, too. It could be. It could be. I'm going to stick with you the, the way that you've interpreted it, I like better. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was a fun conversation. I appreciated uh, his, his uh, you know, the intra-prefectural rivalry about what constitutes authentic Miyazaki shochu and who, who's a real Miyazaki person if they're going to drink Kobiki versus Kirishima. Fair enough. And, you know, between the two, you know, you got, uh, yeah, really? Kirishima and, and Unkai, that's basically, it's probably like 60% of the tax base for the entire prefecture. I mean, those <laughs> two distilleries alone sell so much shochu and employ so many people in the prefecture that really just on by those two show, uh, those distilleries alone, they win the prefectural um, 
volume sold race every year, or at least they have for many years recently. They pipped Ichiko as uh, Kirishima pipped Ichiko a long while back, mm -hmm. and Miyazaki as a whole pipped Kagoshima, which has twice as many distilleries, several years ago. So it's really no competition. They are very large endeavors, and they do a great job of creating consistent product, which is something that always impresses me, given their scale. I mean, the distillery that we went to was one of five in Kirishima's stable that are all massive and dwarf most of the rest of the distilleries in the industry on their own. Each one on their own is bigger than most everything else out there. So really impressive what they're able to accomplish on a consistent basis. But Whatever. This isn't really an episode about sales volume. So we're talking about one of the one of the major categories of shochu. That's let's get back to it. It's it's about soba shochu today. That's right. And soba is, as we know it in English, buckwheat, which is really one of those words that just confuses everyone because wheat would imply that it's a grain that it's from a grass, and it's not. Mm. Grains, by definition, come from grass. Common food grains would be, of course, wheat rice, barley, oats, corn. Sure. Uh, but buckwheat is actually the seed of a flowering plant related to sorrel or rhubarb. So that means that buckwheat is technically the seed of a fruit. Of course, it doesn't have any of the sweet, delicious flesh that we associate with fruit. So it's often mistaken for a grain. Well, you know, and the tax office mistook it for a grain as well, because soba is not one of the other 49. So that means that technically, soba shochu is not honkaku. <laughs> don't tell Unkai. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, you know, we uncovered something big here. And this is like the argument of whether a tomato is a fruit or a vegetable. But anyways, the good news is that whether it's a grain or whether it's a, a seed, it's delicious. So sure. let's talk a little bit more about this soba. It's high in starch and protein, which of course has made it a highly valuable agricultural product for centuries in Japan and across other parts of the world. It's sometimes called a pseudo cereal because it basically masquerades as a grain, which is probably part of the reason why the tax office mistakenly lumps it in with grains. But it is, or it was anyway, a very important crop in Japan. That's right. And, and really globally, uh, Sobo, especially Eastern Europe was, a, is a very common, or I guess, but we would call it is, is a very common, uh, there was a very common food uh, source for centuries, as Christopher mentioned. But, you know, it's not only the Japanese tax office that's made this mistake because there are actually buckwheat whiskeys made in other parts of the world. So sure. it's it's kind of a agree to disagree about <laughs> what what this this uh, pseudo cereal is. Until the advent of modern fertilizers, it was actually grown much more frequently than it is today because it can thrive in less than ideal conditions. Yeah. It can survive in colder climates, higher elevations, uh, that sort of thing. But now that all those fertilizers can augment nutrient-poor soil, staple grains such as corn, barley, or wheat can be grown in more regions. And it's really started to take over the land area that, that buckwheat was, was using previously. True, true. I mean, it's a, kind of a shadow of its former self. But let's just say that we've we've got all of those little important historical details out of the way. And let's now wrap it back to shochu. And for that, let's agree to call it soba for the rest of the episode, if you don't mind. Is that cool? <laughs> okay, soba it is. So what's now known as unkai created the style in Miyazaki Prefecture in the north. 
And it's still predominantly made there, but Nagano Prefecture in central Honshu, which is the same, it's the main or the large island where uh, the famous trifecta of Kyoto, Osaka, and Tokyo reside. That area, Nagano, up in the hills, is also a soba shochu production region thanks to their you know, high-quality soba up there, a lot of it having to do with the water supply. And as Stephen said, it's a hardy crop, so it can grow in the mountainous landlocked area of Nagano. And by the way, have you ever tried any soba jochu from Nagano Prefecture? I was thinking about this as, as we were planning to record, and I, I, I want to say if you put a gun to my head, I'd say maybe not. <laughs> but I feel like I may have at uh, Havespi in Tokyo when I visited. Or I may have had it in some other part of the country. I certainly have not seen any of it down here in Kyushu, and I don't know of any of it that's exported. So I'm not actually sure. Okay. I have. I have a much better access to it up here in Kanto. So I've had a bit. I mean, I, I still sort of remember, and I don't think they make it anymore, but I know it was the first Jōatsu Jōryu, the first atmospheric distilled soba jōchu that I ever tried was from Nagano, and it was Toge 35%, do. Toge 35% ABV. I believe they'd stopped making that probably almost 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And now Toge is, is sold at like 21 or something. I can't remember. At 21, 25, a couple of different ABVs. It was interesting for me because I knew Unkai, mm-hmm. which tends to be a little bit on the lighter, a little bit slightly softer and mellower. and Tolge was made if memory serves, and it often does not. But <laughs> today, I'm going to claim that it was 80% soba and 20% rice koji and atmospheric distilled. Okay. And I remember there was one other really weird thing about it. I think it was ki koji. I think it was yellow koji. Oh, interesting. Which surprised the crap out of me. But it was good, and it was rich, and it was deep. And oh my lord, it was so good in Oyuari. Um, So I was smitten i was in deep smit that sounds like your sweet spot you might want to start uh, looking for that on auction see if any of it's still floating around it's a good idea don't don't put these ideas in my head you know how <laughs> these things work out well i want to try this and you know where to look for it so i'll try and find it all right appreciate that but that's really interesting though that, and i think nagano cold climate higher elevation you could probably safely work with yellow koji in a, in a soba shochu and, and have it work really nicely. That sounds very, very good. I'd, I'd love to try it. But I guess most of the soba shochu that I've tried, and I think almost all of it that's exported, uh, with the exception of one brand that uh, we'll talk about in a minute, are really in the Unkai style. They're light vacuum distilled soba shochu that typically are going to have both rice and barley in the mash bill. So potentially rice and or barley koji some more rice or barley, and then the soba as well. And I think that's partly because soba is a relatively expensive uh, component in, in, in shochu production. It's just because it's not as readily available as it was in the past, it's a little bit more expensive to acquire. I think it's also a little bit harder to work with, quite frankly. I don't think it has quite the starch supply that it's com- competition in the fermentation do. I think you're probably right. It probably is, especially given the limited production of soba these days. It's probably... Most of the soba goes to noodle production. <laughs> That's right. And there's not so much left over for the very small soba joju industry. And we are really talking about mostly Miyazaki, mm-hmm. a little bit of, of uh, 
of Nagano Prefecture, but this only makes up like, you know, when you look at the shochu production volume from tw- the most recent numbers I have mm-hmm. are from 2020, we're really only talking about 2% of the shochu industry by production volume is soba jochu. So really, really small amount produced. Now, that's still a lot more than sesame, which is also a very delicious and very well respected and not widely available, but people know it in Japan, mm-hmm. sesame shochu, but um, it's definitely on the lower end of the big five. That's right. Yeah. And at 2%, it probably is uh, pretty consistently ranked fifth behind kokuto sugar shochu. Uh, and it, but it's, it's a, it's a really interesting style. I get with soba shochu, of course you get graininess, you get the breadiness, but often vegetal notes can be a little bit bitter sometimes. And when you get to the atmospheric distilled versions, you get a lot of nuttiness and that's always pretty cool. It is. It's very cool. I'm a big fan. While we're talking about these different permutations of soba jochu, I mentioned one toge that is was 80% of the mash bill being soba, which is very high, remarkably high compared to some of the bigger players in the soba jochu industry. But there is a brand that's 100%, right? 100% soba. That's right. So soba koji and then soba in the main fermentation, it's called towari. To meaning 100 wari. So 100% of the mash bill is soba in this case. That's right. In, in fact, in soba restaurants in Japan, you'll often see towari on the menu as their 100% soba noodles, because a lot of soba restaurants will mix in a little bit of a different grain because it's just easier to work with. So when you get to 100% soba, you get a really, really rich, deep expression, especially with towari, which is atmospheric distilled. So you get all of that nuttiness and toastiness. And of course, that's right up our alley where we like the, the richer, deeper flavors. Absolutely. Yeah. Give it to me, Oyuari, as usual. What are some other ways to drink it though? A lot of soba restaurants in Japan actually have shochu on the menu, and often they'll have soba shochu. Uh, so you can get it soba yuwari, which is basically using the water that was used to boil the soba noodles, and that's what you're diluting with. So you're getting like soba soba. That can be pretty delicious. That's a really, really nice way to drink it in the winter, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not quite the oyuwari all year round guy like you are, but um, that's a fun way to do it. And then back in 2016, I think Unkai. They were early movers on the the soda dilution, you know, the, the soda wadi. Yep. They were actually selling soba soda sets around the country. You could walk into a convenience store and you get a, a bottle of sparkling water with a small one cup unkai. And you could just dilute yourself and make your own little soda wadi. And that was, that's just, they're just great at marketing uh, with their brand. So kudos to them. And that soda works really well, I think, with, uh, with the vacuum distilled expressions like unkai. But... Obviously, with atmospheric, maybe not so much. Sure. So while we're on the topic of name dropping brands here, Northern Miyazaki Prefecture up in the Takachi whole region, honestly, is really well known for being the, you know, the it's not the soba basket, for lack of a better term, of Miyazaki Prefecture and where uh, this style really came to be. I visited Hime Izumi Distillery up there that's on a cliff, basically. Hime Nosan runs the joint still. I think he's the sixth generation Toji to lead the distillery, and they make a beautiful soba expression, a couple of them actually. And there's a bunch of other places in Miyazaki that make really interesting soba jochu. Anybody come to mind? 
Yeah, you, you introduced me to the the, the cliff edge <laughs> distillers, uh, soba soba shochu, when we were in Miyazaki City one time, and it was really really fantastic. Yeah. Our good friend Masako Furusawa does make a little bit of soba shochu that she puts under the Yaizukura brand. So that's a fun lineup because you can have Yaizukura sweet potato, barley, rice, and soba. She does all four of them. That's remarkable, actually. Yeah, it is. It is. And she doesn't make much of the soba. And I found uh, it's almost representative of her main brand. There's a sharpness to them. And I think that's why I like her long age stuff a little bit more. Yep. Well, I mean, there's also, I know of, Fuyo has a couple of really, they make a lettuce shochu and they make like a lettuce, bamboo grass. Yeah. Bamboo grass shochu. Oh. They make a nice soba shochu as well, which is Tenzan Togakushi. That's a really delightful brand. That one, unlike the previous Nagano brand I mentioned, is still in production, I believe, or at least they have it in stock so you can order it. Um, and then I've, I think I mentioned Kagura has at least one brand of soba jochu. There's a bunch of them kicking around. Mm-hmm. Probably Ochiai has made like six different varieties and just hasn't told us. I'm sure he has. Kagura was available. A couple of their different expressions were available in the US. Uh, I remember reviewing those on the old Kampai website. and uh, But I haven't seen them in market in years. So they probably hadn't didn't sell well and just didn't get reordered. Yeah, bummer. I think the ones that are easiest to find in the US currently are... Unkai, probably gl- uh, globally, you can probably find Unkai. And then uh, Towadi is certainly pretty easy to find in the US market. And I'm, I'm not sure about other other parts of the world. Yeah, true. While we're on the topic, are you sipping on anything? Um, of course. You mentioned the Takachiho region. I'm actually enjoying a 100% soba shochu from the Takachiho distillery. Atmospheric distilled, it's called Shugyoku. Okay. I actually did decide to try it on, on with soda. I was curious how an atmosphere Spheric distilled soba shochu would do with bubbles, and I'm I'm not complaining. It's it's not bad at all. I think I prefer it on the rocks. Don't mind it. How about you? Correct me if I'm wrong. That's a that one's a hundred percent soba, is it not? It is. Yep, that's right. That's that's cool. Very cool. I am actually sipping an unkai product, but it's not not one of their main ones. It's not like their green label or the kuro koji version of that. This one is called. Kicho Unkai. It's another 25% ABV product. And it is made with, and they they even write it on a label, Hyuganada Kuroshio Kobo. So this is the the famous, they call it an inland sea up in that nor- region of northern Miyazaki. Hyuganada, that actual uh, body of water or the the water source mm-hmm. the yeast they there's a bunch of yeast strains up there apparently that they've isolated and somebody determined some famous nerd at a famous university determined that this particular house yeast strain that they've isolated is the best for the fermentation of soba jochu in that particular region oh no kidding they proudly put that all over the label and this one, like a lot of their other stuff, is soba and then barley koji and then also rice in the fermentation. And again, 25% ABV. This one's black, black koji, importantly. And it's good. I'm just sipping it straight because I haven't had it in a long time and I just want to reacquaint myself a little bit. Is that vacuum also? It is. I think everything that they do on the soba front is vacuum. Let me punch myself in the face real quick and get this right. 
everything that they do on the soba front that I have seen is vacuum distilled. I'm going to put my money on that. Okay. I'm not going to hold you to it. All right. Yeah. And anybody who's listening, just forget I said that. I want to go back to this Shugyoku for a minute. Comparing it or contrasting it with Towadi, they're both 100% soba. Uh, obviously, soba koji. But Towadi is very roasted, toasty, rich. Uh-huh. Right. But it almost it almost reminds me of some of those roasted barley shochus in some way. Gotcha. This uh, Shugyoku from Takachiho is almost, it gives me the essence of peanuts. So the, the nuttiness comes through much more and there's, it completely lacks the toastiness. So it's interesting that these two different distilleries uh, can get very, very different expressions from 100% atmospheric distilled soba shochu. I think like any, any other type of shochu really within reason, unless it's super, super land locked or it's, it's geographically cordoned off like ikijochu the way that it expresses from region to region is really going to change a lot thanks to the single pot distillation. And you can't get more different than Miyazaki and Nagano, really. <laughs> you know, Is Tawari made in Nagano? Um, that I'm not sure of. It's a Takara brand, isn't it? It is, which means we'll never know where it's from. <laughs> it could be from anywhere. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um, who knows where they're, where they're getting their raw materials from and who's actually putting those into a fermentation it changes occasionally so we'll probably figure it out if we ask enough but whatever i'll just uh keep sipping it oyuwadi and pretend like i don't care sure no and and mostly we don't because it's, it's delicious right it is nice it is nice yeah uh trivia question for you before we wrap up here uh okay do you know the most famous soba producing region in the world i do not yeah, it's not what I would have expected. And I can't say for 100% whether or not this is true, but I've been told by multiple shochu makers that it's Mongolia. Okay. That's not surprising. I was going to say, not that they're the same, but geographically not that far displaced. I was going to guess China. Mm-hmm. But um, okay. Certainly a lot produced there as well. But uh, apparently Mongolia, for some reason, has very, very nice uh, soba. And I think some of the shochu makers use Mongolian soba, though they're not always forthright about where they get their pseudo cereals. And they should be because actually they should be forthcoming with that information because I think that the sound of Mongolian soba is pretty badass. Isn't it? You just think of Genghis Khan, right? I just think of sumo wrestlers who come over here and kick everybody's butt. That's fair. Yeah, a lot of uh, pretty amazing Mongolian sumo stars. Asashoryu, Hakuho. Yeah, the list goes on. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, this was uh, long overdue, as I said at the top. Glad we could get this one recorded. And uh, I, I learned something, and hopefully you did too. So, and hopefully our listeners did. I did. I did indeed. All right, everyone, stay tuned, because there's going to be a lot more information about upcoming events coming from us. Check Japan Distilled everywhere you like to absorb it. Thank you all very much for listening again to another episode of Japan Distilled. If you have not already, and I say this all the time, but I mean it from the bottom of my cotton socks, please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you enjoy listening to it. It really does help others find our show. And please feel free to reach out to us. A lot of people have, and we really enjoy it, either on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. You can find me most prominently at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. 
For me, you can reach out at Japan Distilled on Twitter and Instagram. Facebook is very, very hit and miss, so I recommend you avoid that. But also check out our website, japandistilled.com, for the show notes for this and every episode. I spend a fair amount of time working on them and hope somebody's reading them somewhere. Also, please tune into our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday, almost every Tuesday evening, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. And of course, don't forget to sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Japan Distilled. Kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. 